Well, good morning, Journey. Uh, er, earlier this fall, or like November-ish, I had to redo the grout in our shower at home. And I thought this would be a simple project. You know, I just, I went and bought this fancy tool that would knock the grout out really quick. And, and I realized that, that the tile in our shower is like that two-inch tile, and there's about 700 of them in our shower. So individually going through, removing the grout, you know, I got that done. It took a lot longer than I thought. And then, then I got the grout, and I figured out, you know, I watched a few YouTube videos. So I figured I'm an expert at putting grout in by now. Put it in, and then I, like, read the fine print on the grout. you got to wait seven days before I could use it. I'm like, oh, this project has taken much longer than I ever thought it would. So I, I get the grout in there. I wait the seven days, and then someone asked me, well, did, did you seal the grout? I'm like, oh, I didn't even thought, think of that. So I watched a few more YouTube videos. I bought some uh, sealer, put, put the sealer down, and then that I had to wait like another four days after that. It was like one of these projects that just seemed to take forever. One, because I didn't know what I was doing. But two, it, like you had, to, you had to physically wait so many days for this stuff to set. And I don't know if, it, if you've had projects like that in your house or in your home where they just seem to take forever. Well, I guarantee it's not as long as this lady named Sarah Winchester spent on remodeling her house. Now, she is uh, um, the widow of the famous Winchester rifle developer and inventor, and she uh, built this mansion in San Jose, California. And her, her remodel project didn't last a month, a year, or 10 years. She spent 38 years continually remodeling and re reworking this house. From 1886 until her death, her death in 1922, it was under constant remodel and construction. In fact, she employed uh, teams of carpenters, masons, and other workers full-time just for her to do this project, just these projects. Now, various stories are told on why Sarah Winchester spent so long remodeling this place, um, and most of them center around the belief that she was either haunted or would be haunted by the ghosts of those killed by her husband's weapons if she ever stopped remodeling. So she never stopped. It's either that or she was just plain crazy. I don't know. But she was always remodeling this house. So it started as an eight-room farmhouse, simple farmhouse, and it grew into the, one of the world's most unusual and sprawling mansions. So by the time she passed in, in 1922, it was 24,000 square feet. Uh, it had 10,000 windows, 2,000 doors, 160 rooms, 52 skylights, 47 stairs, many of which literally led to nowhere, to a, just a wall, multiple fireplaces, 17 chimneys, 13 bathrooms, and six kitchens. Now, in 1922 dollars, it, it cost, the price tag was $5 million dollars. Now, today's money, best estimates, would have been around $71 million for this small little remodel project that she did. And really, it was pointless construction, all in this desperate search to kind of keep her demons and ghosts at bay, this desperate search for peace that was ultimately doomed to fail. 
Now, like many of the staircases that led to nowhere in the Winchester Mansion, many people today pursue peace through some equally fruitless means. Kind of building stairways in hopes of reaching peace at the top, yet they encounter closed walls at the top. Well, about 2,600 years before Sarah Winchester began her crazy remodeling frenzy, there was a prophet in Israel named Isaiah. And this prophet pointed towards a different sort of remodeling. And he tells of a reworking that will take place at the level of kings and princes and kingdoms. And ultimately, Isaiah points forward to the one who will bring peace. Now, if you were to spend time reading the book of Isaiah, it's the sobering account of Israel's sin and rebellion and warnings of their coming judgment. But along with those warnings... Isaiah offers a message of hope, hope that is centered around someone that he calls a suffering servant, the coming Messiah, the one who would establish God's kingdom here on earth. And he tells us of a savior of the world that was, that was to come, and the savior would be called the prince of peace. So reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this is what it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah the prophet points forward in time to Jesus. Now fast forward 700 years at the birth of Christ, angels appear to shepherds in the fields and they proclaimed in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So Isaiah, back in his day, he points forward to future peace that comes in and through one called the Prince of Peace. And now angels then proclaim that peace is now on the scene in the form of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, a baby in a manger. And then Jesus himself, near the end of his own ministry here on earth, affirms that he is the giver of peace. Because in John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus says, this peace that, that I give, only I can give. You can't get it in a bottle. You can't get it in a pill. You can't get it from an experience. So we're, we're in the middle of this Christmas sermon series called The Coming King. And, and get this journey. Jesus, as the coming king, he brings us peace. But do you ever ask yourself the question, what, what difference does that make? You know, what difference does the coming of the Prince of Peace make in our lives? And sometimes you, you ask the honest questions. We say, where is it? Jesus, if you bring peace, then I'm not seeing it in my life. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Where is it? And those are honest questions to ask. Well, Jesus offers us spiritual peace, emotional peace, and relational peace. To put it another way, Jesus brings to us peace with God, 
peace within, and then peace with other people. And that's where we're going this morning in this message. But it all starts with peace with God. And that's a foundational and fundamental piece. And we're going to kind of camp out here this morning for, for a lot of our time because this is, everything else is based on this and off of this. Now, do you ever have a vehicle that you've owned that goes out of alignment? You know, you, usually you can tell when a vehicle is out of alignment. The tires show it, they wear unevenly, they wear quickly, the steering becomes difficult, you know, even the, steer, the, uh, the wheel can shake when you're trying to steer, and you let go of the wheel and it immediately pulls to one side or another. Then you know your vehicle is out of alignment. And if you bring it to an alignment shop, they often will give you a computer printout after they hook it up to their machine. And it will show, you know, red squares or red numbers, meaning out of alignment, and green is good. And they always, you know, when I've done it, they show you the before and after, a bunch of red followed by a bunch of green. You know, our, our son Josh, he drove a 1997 Honda Civic for a long time. Great car, but it always seemed to be going out of alignment. And the last time he drove it here to Wayne uh, earlier this summer, he, he called on the way and said, Dad, the, the Civic isn't handling very well. It was really pulling to one side. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in it and, and drive it when you get here. So I get in it and drive about two blocks, and the thing is just out of control. The steering wheel could hardly steer it. So we get, I just turn right around, go back home, and I look at the, the front wheels, and they are bald. And I just put them on earlier that summer, and they're already gone. I'm like, all right, that's it. We're done trying to work with this car. It's already 30 years old. Let's move on to something else. You know, so when you have a, when you have a vehicle out of alignment, it's easy to detect. You know, the computer can do it. You can feel it. But it's not so easy to detect when relationships are out of alignment. Thursday morning, for example, my alarm went off as usual early in the morning, and I roll over, and Dory is not there in bed. And I immediately think, oh, no, what did I do wrong? What's wrong with our marriage? Why is she mad at me? All this is going through my mind, and I, even, I haven't even gotten out of bed yet. You know, and then when I get up, you know, I start talking to her, and I realize, oh, she just woke up early and got up and made herself a cup of coffee. But, you know, wouldn't it be easy, you know, if your spouse just handed you a computer printout every morning that told you if you were out of alignment or in, you know, gr green or red? Guys, I know that would go really easy for me. You know, before any, any words are said to your spouse in the morning, you sip your coffee and you hand the printout, check it, okay, we're good. You know, I, I wish it was that easy. But you know what, having a relationship that's out of alignment wears a person down. Because it impacts everything in our life. I mean, like me that Thursday morning, before I even knew it, my mind was running down this rabbit trail. It was like, oh no, everything's wrong. You know, it affects our productivity at work. It affects how we sleep. It affects what we eat, how we eat. A relationship out of alignment can influence every aspect of your life. Everything is just off. Well, think about that when we're out of alignment with God. When we are out of alignment with our relationship with him, everything is off and it impacts us for eternity. And when, when we are misaligned, it pulls us away from him. And that's when we, we go through life kind of fighting the life steering wheel. 
You know, we, we want to get it going one direction where we think we need to go, where we're running down our own lane because we know if we let go, God is going to pull us in a different direction. And so we go through life just fighting that steering wheel of life. Well, the Bible calls that misalignment, it calls it sin. And sin leads to a break in our relationship with God. It's a separation that, if not dealt with, lasts for eternity. And it's not a, and it's not a misalignment that we can just fix on, fix on our own because that separation is a gap that we cannot cross by our own efforts or by ourselves. The chasm, chasm is wide and the impact is eternal. You know, I've had the privilege to, to get to know a guy named Alan over these last few months. And there's a picture I want to show you of Alan. And a- Alan came to me a few weeks ago, and he literally said, you know, I, I do not want to spend eternity apart from God. And I thought, man, he gets it. He gets it. That without Jesus Christ, the impact is eternal separation. So Wednesday, December 8th, I had the privilege to baptize Alan. And that began his life as a Jesus follower. And there's a couple other pictures I want you to see. And, and more, than, more than this being a photo or image of Alan getting wet, it's a, those are a picture of realignment. That's what it looks like to get realigned with Jesus. You know, Jesus as the Prince of Peace brings us back into alignment with our Creator. He restores that peace between us and God. And that baptism that Alan did on December 8th is just an outward expression that's saying, yes, I recognize my separation from God. I don't want to be out of relationship with Him. I want to get realigned. And that's a picture of what it looks like. So Jesus restores that peace between us and God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, uh, Paul is writing and he's referring to this new birth and this new creation that we have. And he writes there, says all this, referring to the new beginnings and the new birth, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now that, that word reconcile there means to return to favor, to restore, to restore harmony with God. And God brought us back to himself through the Prince of Peace, Jesus the Christ. The message translation puts those verses, and it says it this way, the old is gone and a new life emerges. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him, and then he called us to settle our relationships with each other. So get this, here's what Jesus offers He restores relationships. He gives us a chance for rebirth. He renews us. He realigns us into a relationship with the Father, something that only he can orchestrate, that only he can implement. And you know what? Jesus wants that for you. He wants that for all of us. So he calls us into his kingdom, the place where he reigns and we follow And whenever we say, whenever we go against that and say, you know, I think I know better than God or I think I know better than the Bible, that's rebellion against God. And that is what the Bible calls sin. So doing that, rebellion, that's an act of revolt. It's an act of disobedience to God and his will. And that puts us into conflict with God. 
And where, where there is conflict, there is no peace. But God does not want us to be disconnected from him. In fact, we're created to have that relationship with him. And Jesus is the one that makes that possible. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done on the cross for us. And our faith, in fact, Christianity itself, is not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has done. And Jesus did that work for us while we were still sinners. Because in Romans 5, verse 8, it says that God demonstrates, he shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, while that gap was still there, while we are still separated, Christ died on the cross to close that gap to bring us into a relationship with him. And, then, and in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews uh, refers to Jesus as our high priest, and he puts it this way. Unlike the other high priests, he, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his sins and then for the sins of the people. But he, Jesus, sacrificed for their sins, ours, once and for all, when he offered up himself. In other words, one and done. The work that Jesus did on the cross is complete, is finished, <coughs> and he restores our peace with God in, in doing that. So that's foundational for all the other peace that I want to talk about this morning. But I wanted to spend time in there because everything else builds on that. Because if we don't have peace with God, then the other peace I'm going to talk about here is not available. It doesn't make sense. It can't be attained. So Jesus came, first of all, to give us peace with God. That's the primary thing. And second, Jesus came to give us peace within. And that's kind of an, an emotional peace. But when we have peace with God, then we can receive the peace of God. Colossians chapter 3 puts it this way. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Notice whose peace it is. It's the peace of Christ. And where does it rule? It rules within. That's an internal peace that impacts us at the emotional level. So I've, me I've mentioned this before in other sermons, but when the word peace is used in the Bible, it's more than just an absence of, of conflict or war. It, it's um, harmony, it's happiness, it's well-being, it's serenity. All of those things are wrapped up into this biblical word of peace. Now, there are literally hundreds and hundreds. I read one place this week, uh, 700 different references to peace in, in Scripture. But to summarize it all down, I think we could say that there is a peace for every situation that we encounter in life. So whatever problem we face, God's peace can deal with it. So for those with a broken heart, he gives us a comforting peace. For those with a confused heart, he gives a guiding peace. For those with a shamed heart, he gives a forgiving peace. For those with a worried heart, he gives a confident peace. See, we can have peace with God. When we have that, it means we have the peace of God within. 
So Jesus brings us first and foremost the primary thing of peace with God, and then that leads to a peace within ourselves. And then thirdly and finally today, it leads to a peace with others. That's, that's a relational peace. But I, I've noticed in my life that, that the further away I get from God, the more it impacts the relationships of those around me. You know, I've, and I've been around ministry long enough where um, on occasion people come in and want to talk to me and they want me to fix another person. You know, they, conversations sometimes go like, if you would just talk to that person and tell them how messed up they are and how much work that they need. And I'm, and I'm always like, well, maybe so, but let's talk about what God is doing in your life. And they're like, no, 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 I, I came here so that you could fix this other person. I'm like, no, let, let's really talk about what God's doing in your life. Because that, that relational peace, it really goes back to our own peace with God. For example, if, if I want to strengthen my marriage with Dory, for me, it starts with me getting close to God. It, it means allowing God to work in my heart and in those areas that I need to improve and I need to focus on. And, and when I'm trying to deal with, with my older brother that's just ornery and causing fits and just doing some stupid stuff, then I need to start with my own walk with God in my life for God to work on my heart as I work with my brother. So what, what does that mean for you? And, you know, if your children are causing you fits, get close to God. If your spouse is causing you strife and troubles, get close to God. You know, for me, I can tell when, when, my, when my spiritual life, my devotional life starts to slack a little bit because I find myself getting a little crankier with people, you know, my temper gets a little shorter or people just start to get under my, sin, my skin. And when that happens, I kind of have to do a gut check for my own life. I ask, you know, okay, where am I at in my own walk with God? Am I spending time in Scripture? Am I spending time in prayer? Or am I trying to just run through life and do things on my own? When I do that, then relationships are affected in, in a negative way. You know, in the 29 years that Dory and I have been mar married, you know, like, like any marriage, we've seen ups and downs and highs and lows. And fortunately, we've had more ups than downs. But I tell you, the times that we have felt closest to one another are the times where our faith in Christ has been at the forefront of our lives, where we're talking about what Jesus is doing in our lives, when we're praying together, when we're sharing the scriptures that have impacted us that week. It's those times that we have felt closest, and conversely, the times that we've, we've let our faith slip back into the back burner, that's when we sense tension in our relationship. As, as you read through Scripture, you see a lot of examples of relational tension. I mean, it's there all throughout Scripture. And throughout the Old Testament, for example, we see a major tension and conflict between the people of Israel and those that were not Israelites, with the, which the Bible calls Gentiles. And that was a very real tension. It was harsh, and that tension boiled over to violence time and time again. So when we get to the to the New Testament, and the apostles are going out and they're starting to establish these New Testament churches, there's still a little bit of that tension uh, there because the Jewish believers are saying, well, yeah, they, they, uh, all believers need to follow the law because the Gentiles, you know, they need to, they need to come alongside and, and follow what we follow. And even in the early church, there's that tension. 
But those early church leaders in their wisdom realized that with Jesus, the Messiah, with the coming of the Messiah, all of that has changed. And relationships, even at that Jew and Gentile level, were possible. In Ephesians chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus makes the two groups one. It says in verse 14, for Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So with the coming of the Prince of Peace, that hostility between Jew and Gentile was removed. Generations of animosity was replaced with fellowship and peace. Then later in in Galatians chapter 3, Paul writes, There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Jesus is the great equalizer. You know, I've, I've read and heard it said that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one's greater, no one's, no one's lesser, everybody's equal. We're all in common relationship with Jesus. So all this peace we're talking about this morning, they really build on each other. First, we need to have peace with God, and Jesus makes that possible. That's, that's the starting point. And when I have peace with God, then I begin to realize and see myself through God's eyes that I have value, that I have worth. And when I see that I have value and I, and I am loved, then I can have peace within on who I am. And when I am at peace with who I am in Christ, then I can have peace with others because things that used to irritate me about people or with other people, they don't bother me so much because I'm secure in who I am in Jesus. There's a story about, about a young believer <clears throat> who was motivated and excited and, and wanted really to run after and pursue the peace of God in his life. So, so he sat down with a piece of paper and he started to, just to list all of the things that he wouldn't do and would do. He, he started writing down all the stuff that he, that he would give up, all, all of those old behaviors he listed and said, I'm not going to do those anymore, and here's what I'm going to do, and here's even the places that I would go for you, Jesus. And he was excited about this list. So he, he went to his, his church, and, and it was kind of an old school church that had an um, altar up front, and, and he came and laid, laid that paper on the altar and said, here it is, Jesus, and He waited and expected to feel the peace of God, and it it didn't come. So frustrated, he went back a couple days later, grabbed the list, and he started to add to it more and more things. And he really racked his brain and did some soul searching and and made the list of longer, the things that he would give up and the things that he would do, and even more places that he would go for the sake of the gospel. And he placed that on the altar, and still peace didn't show up. So he went to his pastor, an older seasoned pastor, and he told him the situation. And the pastor, in all his wisdom, said, just take a blank sheet of paper, sign your name at the bottom, and put that on the altar. The young man did it, and peace came into his heart. As the praise team comes back forward this morning, I just want to ask you the question, how, how do you, how do we enjoy the peace that we've been talking about? this peace with God, this peace within, this peace with others, well, it starts when you sign your name at the bottom of that paper and you place your life on the altar. It starts when we give our lives over to Jesus. 
It starts with him because it's all from him. So today, let me encourage you to come to Jesus, connect with him, let Jesus change you. And I, I, I don't know where you are at this morning in that whole process, but let me encourage you to take the next step that Jesus is calling you to do, whatever that is. And if you're not sure what that next step is, let's have a conversation together to talk about it. Reach out to me, let, let's connect and ask the question, how can you follow Jesus? Begin with that question and let's walk together from there. Will you pray with me? Father, I wanna thank you that through Jesus we can find peace a peace that only you can give, a peace that's from you and of you because it is all about you. So Father, today I want to just pray for those in this room that in their life they can all say yes to you so that they, they can have the peace of you. So Father, continue to work in us and through us. Help us to find the peace within and peace with others that is possible because of you. So we pray this now in Jesus' name.